I believe in getting things done and I believe in it, pushing people past what they believe is possible. I don't even mean physically, but I mean, you know, mentally. And I mean, in terms of work ethic, I believe there's always a little more. And, um, and I believe that um, sometimes you have to believe in someone more than they believe in themselves to help them get further and to ultimately help your team and you get further. So in that, I've also learned that I push people sometimes too hard, uh, oftentimes not hard enough. Most, I'm not saying oftentimes not hard enough. Most, mostly I push people, but it's for a positive, it's for a good outcome. And oftentimes I do believe they appreciate it because at the end of the day, they've grown from it too. I believe in believing in people more than they sometimes believe in themselves. And that means pushing them. And that means pushing what's capable. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Today on the show is the fascinating, funny, uh, secretive, mysterious, uh, deep, humble, and um, honorable Dave Castro. He's the co-director of training and the games director for CrossFit. Uh, he's somebody that I met years back after getting into CrossFit and going to the CrossFit games. Um, we just, you know, we, we had a really, really good, deep conversation. Um, he's one of those guys that you don't always know a ton about, and he's really private. And some of that comes from, uh, you know, just the type of person that he is, but also being a Navy SEAL, which is something that some people don't even know. Um, but uh, he, he really opened up today about, you know, his thoughts and his feelings and how the whole thing has gone with the boom of CrossFit and um, opinions about him that have not always been positive. Uh, and, um, and of course, just how he operates as a human, like just how he's doing during lockdown and how he feels and, you know, if this is something that he's into or not. And, and um, yeah, I felt like I learned a lot about Dave. And of course, don't for don't 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 worry, CrossFit fans. We also get to hear about what might happen for the 2020 games. Dave, thank you so much for doing the show. Yeah, no problem. So you're I'm, in LA right now? I am. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Not so bad here. Is it, it's not? And you're up no, in you're, Aromas, right? Yeah, near near Aromas. Yeah. What's how are you? Good. The uh the craziness has been, uh, it's been an easy adjustment for me because my routine pre this has not changed much after this all started. I'd start my day here at my house and I'd do work, do CrossFit work, sometimes work out first and then go to the ranch, do stuff at the ranch, um, and then come back and just bounce back and forth between the two locations. Well, with these, with the, um, everything that's going on, I'm still able to maintain that same type of routine. So I'm still starting my day up at the house and going over to the ranch, doing some stuff there, shooting, programming, cleaning up, feeding my mule, feeding my pigs, uh, taking my dog on a hike. So it's been, it's been, it's been an easy adjustment for me, except for what's going on for everyone else and all the stuff in CrossFit. We've had to cancel a lot of seminars. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with the games. So, you know, we have, we have a lot we're dealing with. But um, that stuff's all been hard. But as far as my personal routine, it's been um, it's been pretty good. Mm. I can really, I, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I so one of the things that I've 
really realized I kind of maybe knew this before, but I, I'm an introvert. Like I yeah. love being home. Do you, does that resonate with you? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I miss my gym. I wish I could go work out with my peep. And I'm like, I just work out in my garage and I like it that way. I have no gym that I uh, go to or train at. So working out by myself is, is uh, my preferred way of training. Well, that, I mean, that's what we see in your videos on social is you know, working out in the gym in your, in your own gym. Is it in your garage? Like, are you, yeah, in that's near it? no, right now I'm in my office. Uh, one of the bedrooms of our house, I converted into an office. Um, I just, just did work out. My gym is in, we have a three car garage and I converted one of the uh, bays into a gym. I've only lived here for a couple of years now because I was living in San Diego for about uh, 10 or 12 years. And so there was a lot of, upgrades and um, improvements we need to make on the house so I could have my gym and I could have my office. This was a bedroom that I converted into my office, but it works well. So, um, and I don't work out often at the ranch. Sometimes I do, but, but not often. You don't want to do more, do you have a, do you have a rig in the house then? Like in, yeah, in the garage, I have a, a nice little rig. The only thing I can't really do here is rope climbs and I like to rope climb. So if I do go to the ranch and work out, I'll usually run the hill and do some rope climbs or something like that. That you can't do at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how I usually do it too. I try and spread out like, what can I do right now? So if I'm going to take a trip, I'm like, I'm going to lift because I know when I travel and go to a gym somewhere and wherever. Yeah, exactly. Have Olympic bars, you know, they're probably going to have plates. So I try and cram it in. Yeah. I do the same when I travel. I, so I do basically exactly the same, do the things I can do here that I can't do on the road. And then on the road, I'm doing a lot of body weight stuff and a lot of running and, you know, hotel gyms have the uh, bicycles or the treadmills. So on the road, you just make it work with what you have. Do you love, I mean, look, I mean, you're, I, I had to look up your title cause I was like, not <laughs> sure. I, I mean, all I think of you is like, games puppet master um but co-director of training and games director for crossfit is that yes yeah so the training role is my most significant role i would say in crossfit because it's um, i schedule and staff and um, oversee our training department with nicole carroll who you've met and that the the significance of that department is huge in that we're training all the trainers who become um uh, who open up CrossFit gyms and who spread the word of CrossFit to the world. That's what I've been doing longer than I've been doing the games. I started doing that with Greg and Nicole back in 2006. So, and that, that role keeps me behind the scenes and I'm, you know, I don't get a lot of uh, attention for that role. All the attention I get is for the game stuff, obviously. And, um, That's but, but you're like corn rolls, I know you're like you put on a show. Yeah. I know I miss it too. <laughs> um, so we, uh, so the training that consumes more of my time actually throughout the year because it's a year round, um, it's a year round department. We, we're always doing seminars, and then the games is obviously very important, and I have a significant role in that. But we have a good team. Um, we have a lot of people who work on that project, and it's not, especially now without regionals or the um, the open announcements, it's not as much um, traveling and you know, we can just focus on creating the open workouts and then creating the games, which is nice, which is actually pretty cool. So how much did you used to travel and how much do you travel now? Because you said it's not much different right now what's going on with having to be at home all the time. And 
I just remember seeing you all over the place at boxes everywhere. And so yeah. to me, it feels like you have normally traveled a lot. So what's the old and what's the new? Travel? Well, when we did, when we would do um, the open announcements, that was five weeks out of the year that I was on the road. And then you add the regionals another three or four weeks. So that was 10 weeks of travel just for those two different events. Um, and every time I did those, I would also try to go to as many boxes as I could in the local areas, just to support the gyms and not to, to do anything else, but other than just to say hi, just to say hello to the gym members and the gym owners um, specifically. But without those two, I'm doing less travel. If I don't have to travel, I don't want to travel. I don't like traveling at all. But there's still a lot of other things I have to travel for with CrossFit. Sometimes we'll have some meetings with Greg somewhere or there's something going on in, you know, Boston or so there's still travel I do that's not, let's say, high profile travel, but um, but that's business essential travel. Obviously, none of that's happening right now, which is nice because, again, like I don't really like to travel. <laughs> it's uh, I spent my, you know, when I um, after I graduated high school, I enlisted in the Navy, spent 12 years in the Navy, traveled a ton there. Then when I transitioned out of the Navy and worked full time for CrossFit, I was teaching the seminars and traveling every weekend for years. And so I've traveled my whole life. And I imagine you can you can relate now that I don't have to travel as much, I don't want to travel as much. Yeah, I agree. I <laughs> ask you, what's it like after racing? And you, I mean, like I'm, I, I love being able to stay home. I love having more of a routine and I love being able to do something on a weekend. So there's so many things about not traveling that is really nice because you can choose when you want to. Yeah. And having a routine and a weekend is really nice, especially as we get older and just like you want to slow down a little. I don't know if you can relate to slowing down being a former race car driver. <laughs> yes. People ask all the time, well, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, I'm and so you get you get like pulled into it. You're like, well, I'm doing this I'm doing that. And then I remember and I'm trying to do less like I yeah. want to do less. Yes, I feel the same way, but sometimes it's hard, right? What, what, do you, what part of that's hard? Um, if you have a lot of responsibilities, doing less oh, is sometimes yeah. hard. <laughs> sometimes yeah, it's hard if you can't, yes. I have a lot of responsibilities, and sometimes I'd like to do less, but they're my responsibilities, and I have to, uh, have to do them, even with the games and stuff like that. I mean, that, that there's a lot around that where it's like, damn, this is a lot of work. I wish there was um, sometimes a little uh, less of it I needed to do, but it's it's good. So then, if you and I enjoy it, do you, do you like to cook? I don't like to cook at all. My wife loves to cook. She does all the cooking, and um, she she's really good at it. And so I don't, and she doesn't want me in the kitchen at all. So I stay completely away from, she gets mad whenever I go in the kitchen. So we've been together for, you know, almost 20 years. So I haven't, and she's always been a really good cook and she's always not wanted me in the kitchen. <laughs> so I've never, so like the last 20 years, I haven't had to do much cooking or any at all. <laughs> Champagne problems. Champagne problems. But yeah. So there's a deal with Aaron and I where I love to cook and he doesn't really love to cook and doesn't really cook. So yeah. He cleans and I cook. So do you clean? <laughs> you don't. Not really. Uh, maybe a little, um, but not. 
again, you know, she she okay. she cleans. She has a more detailed process in cleaning than I do, so she doesn't want me to clean. Well, oftentimes she might disagree with me on that. She might just think I I do it. Uh, I don't do it effectively. <laughs> look, I don't think that Aaron uses the appropriate amount of soap and. <laughs> a lot longer than what I would do and uses way more paper towels than I would. I wouldn't maybe use any paper towels, but I'm like, look, if someone's willing to clean. I yeah, just, exactly. Yep. Well, help is help. That's very sweet. And as long as you show your appreciation for cooking and cleaning and doing that whole thing. And that's how I feel. It's like, if you get a little, little appreciation, you're like, I'm happy to do it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, I try to, I try to uh, give her all the uh, love and appreciation I can for what she does. I think I do at least. <laughs> Talking about obviously travel and work and everything in the games, and I mean, what, like, what the hell is going on? With <laughs> which part? Well, I mean, there's a lot of parts to it, right? Because obviously, we don't know what the situation is going to be if we're going to be able to be in large crowds. Yep. Will that happen? Will that ever happen? I mean, this is a question Aaron and I were talking about last night with a friend. What if that's the thing of the past? I mean, we don't know that yet. Um, so there's there's obviously the games itself. Then there's like, I think about it, and I think about just how much preparation goes into being ready for it. And I would imagine a lot of athletes are probably in their final phases of like preparing for the games and being ready conditioning wise. And so I mean, a lot of them are going to have access to either their own gym or a great gym at their house, but it's still not the same, right? It's still not that same. You're not doing it with people as much and you yep. might not have a rope in your garage and things like that. So there's just, I would think that there's from my little, like lack of, lack of total understanding mind goes, there's a lot that goes into this and giving them yeah. a chance to be ready as well as just when could that even be? You know, what's interesting about the athletes in our sport is, uh, especially when you look at people like, well, let's take throwing as an example, and, and most of them, they, you look at traditional sports, like let's say football, like Aaron's sport, they have an off season and those guys in the off season, they're taking it off and they're not out at the field practice. Some are, I imagine, but they're not all throwing footballs every day and, uh, and running routes every day. But our sport, our athletes, it's, it's like, it's their lifestyle. They're, most of them are training all year round. Uh, Frazier says he takes like two weeks off after the games, but I think he still trains, you know, a little. Um, but so they're, I think they're mostly always at a pretty high state of readiness. So if we're to do the games in August, even in this unique environment, I believe most of them will be as ready as they possibly could be minus, you know, having some access to, as you were saying, some of the specialty items they might have in their gym. But a lot of these guys at that level have really good home setups. They kind of have to because it's their livelihood. And so um, let's say, let's take a couple of scenarios. Let's say we were able to do the games in August. Um, I think they're still preparing and I think they would be as prepared as they need to be for that event. Let's say we need to push it out to, you know, later in the year. I then think, um, they'll still be prepared because it's just the way they, they, um, they train. They're just always trained. And at that level, if you're, if you know, you're going to the games or capable of going to the games, why wouldn't you just stay sharp for the whole year while we figure out what we're going to do? 
we're also, but you kind of mentioned something, um, crowds. We're also looking into options where we do stuff where there um, is not, where we don't have crowds. So that's on the table where we do have a games, but we don't have any fans there for a, a reduced field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But check it out. We'd still stream it and we'd still show it to the world. So it'd still be something um, exciting that the community could come behind if we were not able to have fans. Because it is a crazy time. I I believe everything's going to return to normal eventually. I hope so. But in this current climate, um, we have to look at options like that in terms of doing it with no fans. And again, you know, so let's say when we do it in Madison, let's say if we're around 20,000 people go. Um, so those 20,000 can't be there, but hundreds of thousands watch it from home. And so I think we, it could even be more powerful if we were to do it that way and just find the fittest alive with the reduced field event that has no spectators to accommodate the current climate, yet stream it to the world and make a great, produce a great show. And But even in that, there's gonna be sacrifices, meaning you know it won't be identical to how it was in Madison. If we did something like I'm talking about there, um, things will look very different. Again, maybe a reduced field, maybe certain aspects of the competition aren't even happening. Those are all things that are on the table and we're talking about to accommodate um, trying to find the fittest man, fittest woman alive in 2020. I think we can do it. You know, I was really bummed in, uh, I was really bummed with the Dana White thing, with the UFC thing. That was so exciting. Did you follow that at all? Mm. They were, so Dana White got an island and he was going to start doing fights there this weekend. Yeah, exactly. They were building out a UFC um, UFC venue to host UFC fights starting, uh, I guess, this weekend. Yeah, the 18th and 19th. And um, everyone was excited. They had a fight card. And it'd be cool to see some sort of sports, to have something back. But at the last minute, Disney, his big bosses, came in and said, no, you're not going to do it. So it got, it got canceled. But... I was really excited at the notion of him being the guy who, because uh, he's kind of uh, on the fringe of, of traditional sports and on the fringe of traditional sports making decisions. So I thought it was going to be really cool if he pulled something off. So at this point, I, I almost feel that way about us. Well, you know, they could pull something off. And August is, you know, a lot will be, it'll be very different by August. But hopefully we can do something in August, something in that same time frame of the games to, uh, to, to make to find the fittest man and woman alive. I mean, will your programming, I mean, like, will the programming be affected at all? Programming is definitely something I'm curious about with you because, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, here, here's what will dictate the, here's what will guide the programming where we do it. So if we do this, like, if we do this, it might not even end up being in Madison. No, hey, uh, what? No, hey, bells? Yeah. Well, it depends where it depends where we go. So um, the programming, especially for the games and events like that, really flow off of where the event's happening at and what kind of uh, terrain we have and what resources and what the natural environment is around it. So once what we, what was that? What are the options? There's a few. There's a few on the uh, on the table that I'm not ready to get into, but that would. Uh, I mean, I heard you that? say island and you got excited. So <laughs> we're not going to do an island. No, that's a little, that's probably beyond our means. Dana White in the UFC can pull that off. We're not there right now. <laughs> um, 
so we'll see. No, but we have some good options. We have some. We have a good uh, potential plan in place that we might try to activate on. And if we did, the programming would be very suited to that to that plan and that location. Is there any chance that it's back at the ranch? <laughs> we have a few plans. We have a few plans in place. And We're we, looking at all possibilities. I mean, but it makes sense because you can't have a crowd. I mean. There's really no space for a crowd there anyway. Correct. Exactly. If we were to do something at the ranch, there would be, uh, it would, it, it, let's, okay. So let's say, let's play your idea out of the ranch. If we were to still do it in Madison where it's looking like we can't anyways, because of what they have going on, it would be hard to justify not having fans in terms of they have all the facilities. Let's say we did do something at the ranch instead. Well, guess what? We can easily justify not having any fans because there's, it's not big enough. There's yeah. not the infrastructure there. There's not, uh, we couldn't, we've done events there before where we had fans and it was just bulging out of the seams. It was, there's, it doesn't work well. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, yeah, I, you did I, your level one there. Yeah. I was lucky enough to do the level one there and saw you and you took my sister and I on a little tour around the property because it's your family's property. Yep. Yep. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a cool place and obviously I can see how that would drive the programming because there's everything from like running up hills mm -hmm. to shooting, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you shoot. I shoot a lot and because of my experience with competitive shooting and shooting, I can be the first to say I'd never have shooting in the games. Oh. Just because it's not a test and a measure of fitness. It's like so far, now here's the thing, there's cool events and one-offs and like sideshows but not at the CrossFit games. There, there's cool places for that, combining CrossFit and shooting, but at the CrossFit games where our charter is to find the fittest man and woman alive, it doesn't really make sense. Especially when you look at half the field is usually international and a lot of places um, around the world don't have gun-friendly laws like we do. So people just have less access to firearms. Um, so it wouldn't be, you know, and Matt Frazier is a pretty good shooter. So he would have a, give him another advantage over the field, huge advantage that everyone else doesn't have. Do you, um, like, do you become friends with some of the CrossFitters? I mean, I'm yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I become friends and sometimes they get mad at me. Brooke Wells is really mad at me right now because of last year, what happened at the games. And I, uh, said something in the press conference because I considered us pretty good friends. And I said, uh, I made a comment about the stepping on the line thing and how I thought uh, she made a comment about it. And then I made a comment in a press conference after the games in response to her comment and it really upset her. And so we, we, uh, we kind of used to talk on a regular basis, but we haven't talked since then until recently, until the documentary came out, this new documentary. And she just, she sent me a message saying, thanks for, um, saying that, you know, you didn't want that to happen to me or something like that. But, um, so, so some of them sometimes get really upset at me. And, you know, the thing is like, I'd say this about that Brooks situation, it was nothing, what happened at the games and even what I said in the press conference was not, nothing personal. It's just all, it's, it's what I'm doing there and it's who I am there. You know, I have to be, I'm, I can't be everybody's buddy at the games and I can't be on every, anyone's side really because of the, the role I'm in. But yeah, you know, some of them over the years, because of the multiple events we do and the time we spend together, um, I developed friendship with, I'd say people like uh, 
Josh Bridges, especially the earlier athletes, because it seems like we used to do a lot more stuff together back then. Josh, and, you know, I put him through training when we were both in the Navy at the same time together. And yeah, he was coming through training and I was an instructor. And so I met him through that. And uh, this was before he ever went to the games. So people like that, Rich Froning, I'd consider him a pretty good friend. Uh, Dan, Dan Bailey, even though I give him a lot of shit and and obviously i become better friends with the guys than i do uh, a lot of female athletes but i do become a you know i am a friend with with a handful of them too so yes and i would say over the years with the new format and that that i travel less to that we don't have the open announcements that we don't have the uh regionals we don't have the invitational where we used to take the best athletes those were all opportunities that we hung out and spent time together those are all gone and I don't travel to these sanctional, these sanctioned events. So the only time I um, really see them now is at the games. So the, with the modern era, not I'm not as close with the modern era of athlete, the, the previous era of athlete. And the previous era, it was interesting because a lot of them would also be on our training team, our seminar team. So, you know, for um, like Camille, I'd consider her a good friend. Camille on, was on the training team. Rich Froning was on the training team. Margot Alvarez. So a lot of these people who, you know, from the last generation who were stars did both. They were great athletes and great trainers. You don't see that as much now. These, a lot of the, the newer generation are just focusing on competing and don't, most of them aren't trainers, it seems. And they don't, um, they don't try out for the seminar team. So less opportunities for me to have a connection with some of them than there was in the past. Mm-hmm. And also at this stage too, um, that, that last group, you know, that was, um, I think what's happening even maybe in my own mind. So, you know, we've been doing the games for 12 years. That earlier group I was talking about, I was 10 years younger, you know, closer to their age. They were 25, I was 32. So a little more, you know, relatable in age. And now these athletes are 24, 25, and I'm 42. So I'm also, you know, the gap and what we have in common is increasing. So you keep getting um, older and they keep getting younger. Yeah, exactly. That's literally happening. Yeah. Oh, 19. Even some of them are like, I know it's crazy. I'm old enough to be some, a lot of uh, the parents and most of them, not most, but a handful, which is wild. Do you ever use the athletes at all in the programming process for um, either to bounce something off of or to ever test a workout or to, I, to just get some like feedback on, or even just some advice at some point, like, Hey, asking about anything going on or what, just any thoughts. Is there any? Yeah, for sure. So, but like when we're, when I'm making the workouts for the games, I'll use athletes who didn't qualify or any stage really, but I'll use athletes who didn't qualify for the games who are really good to help me test workouts. And, um, and I'll, and they give me feedback and I, but usually in that environment, it's the visual. I see how the, the, the workout looks, how they feel after it. And then from that, I'm able to make um, adjustments and their feedback on like, well, that was one of the worst things I've ever done. You know, that's like, okay, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Or maybe they'll say, uh, sometimes they'll say, oh, that wasn't so bad. And it's like, hmm, okay, what can I do to make it uh, harder? But so, yes, I do. Uh, and, and, throughout the years, it's been a number of different athletes. Some have been more involved than others because I use a lot of, when I was living in Southern California, I used a lot of guys from down there, again, who didn't qualify to the games. 
people like Rich throughout the years, I've used him. I've shot him ideas or I've shot him events to test and he'll test in the privacy of his own gym and send me feedback or send me how he did his times. Um, people like Dan Bailey, even Josh, I've used Josh. So yes, I do do that. And it's important to the whole process. Every one of these events that we do at the games, we've tested multiple times. Some of them have gone through like nine or 10 iterations of testing. And sometimes the same athlete tests them over and over and over. So I can compare the times and see, yeah, it's brutal. Some of these guys I feel for. Yeah, it is hell. And uh, sometimes when they get the invite to come test, I'll invite them to come test for a week. They know they're coming out for just a beat down. There's something that my saying is, if you do any workout right, you'll never want to do it again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. What's your favorite workout? Well, my favorite workout, oh, well, I think Fran's my favorite, but not to do. Like I'd never want to do Fran because it's so nasty and it hurts so much. But I think that's a um, that's one everyone should do. And I probably haven't done it in years, literally, because it's it hurts. You know, 259 thrusters and pull-ups, it's not enjoyable. But my favorite type of thing to do is I like to deadlift. I just deadlifted today because I'm okay <laughs> at it. <laughs> um, and I actually, I like pull-ups. I like running. I like just um, pure CrossFit workouts that are couplets and triplets. Just really easy combinations, but that hurt if you push hard enough. And I also don't have a problem with CrossFit and with CrossFit workouts to not hurt. Like meaning I can go 60 or 70% on a workout and be completely happy with it. And now at this stage in my life, sometimes I feel like I have to do that more often because I get so sore so often. I, I stay sore longer. And so for me, moderating, yeah, pulling back on the intensity is, is critical for being able to keep working out over and over and over and just, and I'm also only a one a day type of guy. I just do one thing. I'm not doing multiple workouts or multiple sessions. I also program for myself and I'll just, oftentimes I come up with workouts on the fly. I don't follow any program or I don't have any grand plan. Although right now I am trying to focus on increasing my deadlift. So I'm deadlifting more often. Um, I also like to run. I do. And here's the thing about running. One of the reasons that I like to run, and I run a lot when I'm programming for the games and really in the process, because I can think when I run. Yep, exactly. And the reason you can think when you run is because you're running slow. If you run really fast, you're not able to think. That's the problem with CrossFit workouts. You can't do CrossFit workouts slow and zone out. Even doing them slow, they still hurt. So when doing, and plus doing a CrossFit workout too slow just prolongs the pain. So when I do CrossFit workouts, I'm not able to think about other things. But if I, when I run, I'm able to just kind of zone out and think about the programming, think about what else I'm doing for the day, get creative. And I think I, I think when I run, I'm able to be creative. I'm like in a creative area, creative zone. So, um, but that's running slow and comfortable. <laughs> Although, reps and that really helps to not have to count reps. Cause even let's say it was like, yeah. let's say, you know, Something I like the other day, I did like a hundred burpee box jumps just as a finisher. And they just think a hundred burpee box jumps. It's the same thing over and over again, but you got to count. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. What size box did you use? Because you're small. 20. Yeah, 20. 
That's good. That's it, really good. You know, it's a good 10 minute finisher. For you, <laughs> for me, that would take, that would take a, no, that's, that's tough. That's a good one. I'm super curious um, about programming. I love, for me, it's such a, I love it. It's creative. I mean, yeah. So tell me about your process. Well, see, so programming for something like for an individual workout is way different than programming for like the games. Cause when you program for an event like the games, it's really like three dimensional. And I mean that in terms of you can do, um, let's take Fran as an example, or let's take your hundred burpee box jumps as an example in your gym. And anyone in training is going to do a hundred burpee box jumps and you're going to set up a box and you're going to do a hundred right there. But the visual of the games and to show the actual race, well, let's think how we can advance this down the floor. And so, yeah, exactly. So are we going to have them advance the box every five reps? Are we going to have them advance the box every 10 reps? Are we going to have them go up and over, up and over, then advance? Also, are we going to have at the games, we might have 10 boxes. So they do 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, instead of advancing their box. So those are all the type of thing things we think about for the games and the creative and the visual of it um that's the type of thing you would never think about for your gym or on your own when you're working out by yourself or if you're programming for a gym because that doesn't that doesn't matter you're just keeping track of your rap, reps so that's the type of thing that makes the games uh programming creative and and uh like i what i like to say three-dimensional because there's so many different there's the visual of it there's the stimulus on the athlete, how it affects them. There's the actual test, how it plays out in the grand scheme of things. And also with the games, what's really important, and I, it, this is also important for regular programming, but especially for the games, none of them are standalone. They all tie to the rest of the weekend or the rest of the day or the rest of the event. They all play a piece in that. They, they're all interconnected. So That's they have balance, to balance. Of, yeah. Balance of tests essentially you're saying for like, sure tasks time yeah absolutely short workout long workout heavy workout light workout um pushing pulling and and um usually with the games there'll be what i call an anchor event or two going into programming for the games i have this one idea that is like okay this is going to be in the games and then everything kind of builds around it and so like murph in years past has been the first year we did Murph. It was an anchor event. We knew we were going to do Murph. And so at that point, you have, you know, 100 pull-ups, 200 air squats, 300 push-ups, and mile runs on each side. Um, other events throughout the weekend aren't going to have a lot of pull-ups, right? Because that that is there. And so everything else is built. Now, that being said, with that there, so we need deadlifts for sure. So you can start to fill in the gaps of what should happen because that anchor piece is there. And each year, the anchor uh, events are, are uh, very different at different stages of the weekend and um, just fill in, backfill from there, essentially, and make everything talk and have a, in my eyes, a cohesive storyline to them. Mm. I get a lot of heat, especially this last year. A lot of, lot of people, I got a lot of heat over the programming. There was, um, six events last year at the games. And after each event, there was cuts. So after the first event, we went from like 150 to 75 people. Then it went from like 75 to 50 and all the way down to at event six there, we went from 20 to 10 and um, event six was a sprint. Well, interestingly, 
people call that the cut event because they say that that was the fine, the uh, cut event to take the field from 20 to 10. The truth of the matter is, is it was not the cut event. The scores from all the previous five events played a significant role in that one event. That was one that was one piece of it all. It would be a cut event if the scoring went to zero and there was 20 people and, and that event dictated who went on to the next one. But that wasn't the case. And interestingly, if that was the case, Matt Fraser wouldn't have advanced. And if Matt Fraser wouldn't have advanced, that there would have been, yeah, if Matt Fraser wouldn't have advanced, there would have been a flaw with that whole thing. But the reason he was able to advance was because of the work he put on the previous five events. And that, that was the thing. There was, there was six events to get you to 10 athletes. And some athletes shined. Matt, Tia, and others struggled. And when I say struggled, I mean didn't do well enough on all the events, not just one event. You, you know, you have a bad sprint event, but how'd you do on everything else? That's what you need to look at. So I take a lot of heat for that stuff. People like to bitch. Yes, people like and to bitch. You get the blame. And this is something I've been really curious about because you, know, you were a Navy SEAL, you got you got into CrossFit, then, you know, it started with this, you know, Woodstock event, basically, or coined a Woodstock fun uh -huh. fitness event at, in Aromas at the ranch for the very first game. Yep. Yep. And then from there, this thing just, I mean, yeah. how could anyone have seen the explosion? And so how are you like, how was that for you personally? Well, it's been interesting because so when I got involved with CrossFit from being a SEAL, um, I was not in this like, okay, I'm going to become like, a, I, I, my goal is in CrossFit to become a little figure, a little uh, um, character or someone who's the face of that was never by design. It kind of just evolved and grew because we did a lot of media. And as that grew, I saw a lot of people liked me and a lot of people didn't like me. And um it was interesting, again, because, you know, being a SEAL, all of our stuff was not a SEAL nowadays. A SEAL nowadays, it's like, you, of course, you're writing a book and, and you're, you, you have podcasts and you're, you're promoting yourself as a former SEAL. I'm not a huge fan of that. But anyway, that's a different topic. Um, so back then, I was not like, hey, I want to come out and um, try to become famous off of this CrossFit thing. I just wanted to do a good job and, and support CrossFit and, and work hard. And so there was a time where I started getting a lot of hate early on and I started getting more hate. So at a certain point, and as, as I was becoming more popular in CrossFit, and that's the other thing too. I always say, yeah, I'm very popular in CrossFit. And I always tell people, like people will say like, oh, you're a celebrity. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm a popular figure in this thing called CrossFit. And I really understand and respect that. And, um, but even in that, there's a lot of people in CrossFit who still will come at me and, and, um, take shots at me. So early on, I just, I, I saw it and I'd read, read the comments or look at the post and I knew it wasn't healthy and I knew it wasn't a good thing. So then I just shut it off in my mind. I'm like, all right, it doesn't matter. People are going to talk. I don't need to get involved with it. I don't need to go down this route of uh, listening to it. And so for years, even before I got on social media, people, um, people were coming at me. So I started ignoring it. Then once I got on social media, it makes you, it puts you out there a little more and um, it would come on my channels. And in the beginning for the first couple of years of being on Instagram, I just ignored it. 
Um, and oftentimes when I do these posts where I get hundreds and hundreds of comments, I stop looking after like the first page just because I don't want to get consumed with all the comments. Then there was a point where I was like, okay, if someone says something about me on my page, I'm going to block them. I blocked the fuck out of people. I blocked so many people. I blocked so many people on my page. You could just say something about my, you could say something rude about my hair and I'll block you. <laughs> and so, um, so if I see it, cause I don't always see them, but if I see it on my page, I block people. Um, and that's just my way of having a little victory over those assholes or the people who, who are petty like that. Cause here's the thing. I look at how I conduct myself and I'm not going to any other site or any person's page and, and talking about them or saying anything about them or, you know, like, so why, why do that to me or why do that to us or why do that to people? It, it baffles me. Um, but I also understand too, I got to keep this in perspective. Oftentimes it's the vocal minority meaning there's still a large cohort of people who like support and appreciate what I do in CrossFit. And so I've, I have to, uh, I have to really keep them in, them in mind and not let the vocal minority um, overwhelm me and my feelings towards things because of, because uh, they're just, the chatter is so loud. Still has, it still gets you every now and again. I mean, it does to me every now and again, especially yeah. there's that little like, there's that little narrow lane of like, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't have done, maybe I, you know, and then if somebody says something, you're like, it kind of sits in there and you're like, Shh. yeah, exactly. It happen? I, uh, yeah, it happens, but I, I try to move on from it quickly. Um, you know, there was a phase though, I'd say there was a phase when I was really the bad guy and most things associated with me were, um, it felt towards me negative. Then there was a phase where I became like um, a fan favorite almost, especially especially in the last four or five years. I felt like the community was really like behind me and supportive. I felt like I wasn't doing enough, to, and not that I try, but enough to get more haters. And then I think uh, recently though, with this last year's programming, that kind of tipped the scales back towards, uh, especially when I was doing all the open announcements and all that stuff, people really liked me. I mean, people would rip on me about those, but uh, about the presentation or whatever, but that was all in fun. But I felt like then I was a, a really positive in a lot of people. Like I didn't get a lot as much hate then, but with this last year's programming, I felt like it all ramped up again and it, it's okay. You know, Isn't but it's also, it's also a sign of like the passion of some, I think it is maybe a little, it's a sign of the passion of this fans for the sport. I mean, you guys see that in NASCAR, right? There's some yeah. crazy. That's a great, I mean, that's what I ended up believing was I was like, you know what? I think the perfect balance when you have a big enough fan base, which you do, I mean, you are famous um, and you're especially famous, of course, in CrossFit. And when you have a fan base, that's like, I, I say like 80, 20, it's <laughs> not really like you and 20% boo for you. That's when you know, because what it's saying to me is, is that there are people that are like such a cheerleader for you, that there's someone that gets triggered enough to be such not a cheerleader, right? Yes. It's a fan in the stands that's cheering for Danica and they're like, they, they're fan, like they're, they're a fan of, let's say, I don't know, Kyle Bush or something. They're like, yeah, actually it'd probably be the other way around. People are not <laughs> Kyle, but, um, but they'll cheer so for 
they they'll cheer against you because they cheer for someone else. So yes. like it kind of puts them in this pinched position, you know. And then you put like so then to even add another layer of that with me is like um, I'm also not even an athlete in this world. I'm just a character. I'm I'm a director. I'm like so. So for me, like you look at like Valner or, or Frazier, like there's guys who have their favorites, kind of what you're describing, and they're going to cheer for one or the other. I'm just the bad guy who's putting all this, or the good guy, depending on how you look at it, who's putting all the athletes through this. So um, you can either really like what I'm doing or you can really dislike what I'm doing, but it's not because of my physical performance. But you're fit. Um, I mean, you're a SEAL and you do CrossFit every day. What did yeah. you think when they came out with the t-shirts that said Dave Castro's <laughs> dick? Well, so that was, uh, interestingly, that was a sticker. I wonder if I have it in here. Hold on. No, I don't know where I have it. But when I was a SEAL instructor, uh, that was the last duty station I had when I was active duty from 2007 to 2010. I was instru an instructor in San Diego. And that's where Josh came through. He came through the training when I was instructing. Some of the students made a sticker that said Dave Castro is a prick. And that got around. And like in San Diego, there's um, seal bars and Coronado and all over the place where this sticker was just everywhere. And uh, there's certain training locations where we would go um, in Mississippi or wherever. And this sticker would show up all, all over the place. And um, it was because of me being a, a dick as an instructor. I was a hard instructor. You know, I actually look back at that time. Uh, and think um, how I would do things differently in terms of uh, I was a good instructor. I was really good, but I was really, really tough on the students. And um, sometimes I think back and think I maybe should have tried to connect a little more. But I also realized as a SEAL, it wasn't, it's a, it's a different environment. So, but that's another conversation. Um, so it came from there. And Josh was around at that time. So Josh was, he, he was going through the training when that sticker was out there. Then, so a number of years later, he um, he texted me and said, hey, can we make a sticker or a t-shirt out of that sticker? And I was like, yeah, go for it. And it became a huge hit. Like, I, I don't know how. I, I don't know. How, one of those shirts. But. <laughs> I don't know how they, uh, how they did with it, but I know I saw them everywhere. And it was pretty cool. I, I appreciate it. I, I liked it. That wasn't, that didn't bother me at all. I thought it was cool. And every event I went to, someone would be wearing it and want to get a picture with me. So um, I enjoyed that. How nice you are. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too. When people meet me, especially for a lot of people who don't like me. Oh, you know, you it might be different for you because of the NASCAR fan. But in terms of me with the CrossFit fan, in person, I've never had a bad encounter with any. No one, like all these people who say stuff, no one's ever come up to me in person and said what they would say online to me. Like I've never had anyone confront me. That's you're, I, you're telling my story. I feel yeah. the same. So where did you come? Like, what was your, what were your parents like? Well, what was it like growing up? In uh -huh. What was your childhood? Like, where did you get like from that? Cause it's rooted in those values, those experiences. Sometimes it's you learn it the hard way and mm -hmm. you have to find your own strength. And other times you're taught it and you're given that strength through, you know, your family or your values. So like, where, where is it coming from? You know, that's an interesting, uh, a couple of years ago, Greg Glassman, he said to me, he goes, your dad must've been a really um, solid guy. And I said, yeah, why do you say that? He's like, because of how you came out. And I was like, that was, uh, 
it just made me reflect a lot on how my dad raised me and, and how our relationship was. You know, my dad was a truck driver. He had a trucking company, and that's why we ended up at the ranch and that large facility there, the, the uh, shop was for trucking. And my brother was a sprint car driver. I think I've told you this before. My dad had a trucking company and he we were doing well off of it. And so he started a, uh, a little race team. And so my brother did sprint car races all around Northern California. He was seven years older than me. And I was, uh, so I was a little kid and I, I was drugged to all these races and I hated it. I really, I didn't like the noise. And my brother crashed at all these, uh, I thought he was gonna die every time he went out because he had such nasty crashes. He'd flip over the fences and stuff like that. So um, they were, my brother became a truck driver. My dad was a truck driver. They were both mechanics. They both had a really hard work ethic. They both worked a lot. And I saw what was going on. And um, growing up on the ranch, I ran around a lot. I was in the hills. I played GI Joe. I shot, I did a lot of stuff like that. And I knew one thing. I knew I didn't want to be a truck driver <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to go into essentially the, the family path of, of um, business. So I decided to go to school, to go to college. And I, um, I went to California state university, Monterey Bay, right down the street in Monterey. And, but the summer between graduating high school and going to college, I watched the rock which was a movie with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. And in that they had seals. The seals get shot, they get killed by the Marines, but they looked really cool. You know, they came in in their little underwater vehicles and they came out of the sewer with their wetsuits and their, their guns. And I was like, those guys are badass. And so I started researching and reading about the seals. And everything I came across was how their training was the toughest in the military and they were the most elite um, military unit. So I wondered, something crossed my mind. I wondered if I could do that. I said to myself, do I have what it takes to become one of them? So in high school, I was on the football team, but I never started. I tried out for the basketball team. I didn't, um, I didn't get picked up. I can't even say I got cut because I just didn't get picked up. And I, so I was not, I did not have a stellar athletic career in high school. So then there was this, this physical endeavor of becoming a SEAL. And I was like, well, I should try this. And I told my parents I wanted to do it. And at first they were like, you're crazy. Just go to college, do college. So I said, okay. So I stayed in college for like two months and I dropped out and said, and I went to a recruiter and I enlisted in the Navy. And interestingly that at that time I said to myself, if I don't do this now, I'll never do this. And I'll always wonder what happened. What would have my life been like? Or what would my life be if I did do that? I didn't want to have any regrets. I didn't want to have I didn't want to be 30, 40 years old thinking, well, one day, once I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, I needed to find out if I could do it and I needed to, to do it then. And actually that, that kind of, that train of thought has uh, led me through a lot of things in life. Like, okay, if I don't do this now, you might not ever do it, or you might a couple of years down the road regret having not tried or not gone for that or taken a risk essentially. So I took the risk. And um, dropped out of high school or college and enlisted. And a few months later, was shipped off. And my parents were really proud of me at that point. In the beginning, they weren't. And um, then as I left and went through the process and, and I made it through the training, uh, the, the training is six months long. And oftentimes going through it, people get hurt or rolled back for performance. So you stay there for a really long time. 
but I was able to make it through in one in one iteration, which was I was very fortunate. And then so my 20s, that entire time, I was stationed mostly in Virginia. And uh, that's, that's the phase of my life I don't talk much about, but it's really formative of who I am now and what I do now, the, the, the decade, 12 years that I was in the Navy. And I don't talk a lot about it because, um, you know, we were the silent professional. That's how we were brought up. We're, we were not supposed to talk about what we did. And I really took that to heart. And I, uh, I was raised in that community by guys who were, that I really respected that kind of beat that mentality into you that, Hey, you're a Navy SEAL. You're not supposed to talk about what you do. And when I started working for CrossFit, I told Greg and Tony Budding, who was doing a lot of media at that time, I don't want to uh, be known as a Navy SEAL. I don't want you guys to put it out there. And actually the first three years I was working for CrossFit from 2006 to four years, 2010, I actually was still in the Navy. So I told them, hey, you can't talk about it. Don't talk about it. So, um, and interestingly, the 2009 CrossFit Games, I was deployed to Afghanistan planning the 2009. In 2009, I did a deployment and I was planning the games and doing the seminars. And that's like the type of thing I don't really point to or talk about anywhere. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of kind of cool, kind of unique. And so I really was happy, am happy and proud of the fact that in this community, I still have people walk up to me and say, hey, I just heard you were a SEAL. That's really cool. Thanks, thanks for your service. Or, hey, I had no idea you were a SEAL. That's really um, something special. And the fact that I created my own identity in CrossFit independent of being a SEAL means a lot to me. I didn't use it as a crutch. I didn't lean on it. I'm not, you know, you never hear people say Dave Cash is a Navy SEAL. And um, I didn't, I'm glad it didn't pan out that way. It's, you know, Dave Casho, director of the games, the CrossFit guy, whatever. And I, I'm happy with how that turned out because that was all very deliberate. There are a lot of people now when you mention their name, it's the Navy, so-and-so, the Navy SEAL. And um, I'm really happy that I didn't have to go that route. I'm hearing, I mean, what a story and how interesting and how much that people didn't know. And what I'm hearing is just, it sounds like, you know, I'm hearing so much humility out of you and honor. Yeah, I was, if honor I, if I didn't. And honor for like privacy, honor for what is being asked of you and honor for yourself of following through. And, you know, interestingly on that um, privacy and, uh, you know, that's one of the, you know, early on the hate started towards me in CrossFit, as I talked about earlier, and I didn't want that for my family and I knew eventually if I did I, I knew eventually it would come and so early on I decided all right I'm going to keep my family out of the limelight or and I'm going to keep my daughters off off of uh being out there because let's say I, I put my family out there and had my daughters on Instagram and had my wife on Instagram um that's that's uh selfish of me because they didn't ask to be put in this position where they're um they're recognizing the street because I'm posting them and it's actually unsafe. I didn't want, I didn't want to put them out there because I often say, um, you know, you look at Jason Khalif or Rich Froning's kids. And if I were to walk down the street right now and see those kids, I independent of Rich and Jason, I could recognize those kids and say, Oh, that's Rich's kid. And I don't think that's a, I don't believe that's a really safe place to be. And so I, uh, 
I'm really happy with how I've also kept my family out of the limelight so they can't, and I'm not saying they get attacked, but you know, they might get attacked. And I wouldn't want to have to, I wouldn't want to be the platform for which they're getting attacked from. I wouldn't want to provide that platform. Um, people attack me, they might attack them and it would really, that would really hurt me and I would, it'd be unnecessary. So I'm really happy with how I've kept that aspect of my life private because I do, you know, in this, when you do become, you get a little popularity in whatever community, you need to have some things, uh, some people don't, but I do. You need to have some things private and that's, that's where I draw the line. I think you and Aaron could have a conversation. He feels the same way. <laughs> Good. My life should be my private life. I should be able to go do things and not have to worry about, not have to deal with people if I don't want. I should be able to like have yeah. this part of my life. And he's, he's very private and I'm, I'm more on the other side of an open book. And I, I think they, they, they both have their upsides and they both have their downsides, but um, I don't think you can ever fault someone for wanting to keep their family safe and yeah. also be fair. Right. And that's the honor, the honor, honoring that you chose to be in this position, but they didn't choose to be in this position. Yeah. Oh, there was something else I was going to say, but I forgot if, uh, if I hadn't, uh, had this opportunity with CrossFit and, and um, Greg, you know, in 2006, six, seven gave me this job. I would have stayed in the military for 20 years for sure. So I would have done, and I'd be retiring probably, I'd retired about a year ago or so. So I really love what I did in the SEAL teams and I'm really proud of it and I would have done it, but this opportunity with CrossFit was something special and unique and, and um, not a lot of people had this opportunity. So I, uh, I'm proud to do this, but I also would have been honored to stay in the military. And interestingly, there's a, because of the way I've conducted myself since getting out of the military and not call it um, profiting off of being a SEAL or leading with that or plastering it everywhere, there was a SEAL team where I was stationed um, where they have an annual reunion and it's you know it's a, they've blacklisted other people who've gone out and talked and been very public with being a SEAL and what they've done. And they're not no longer there, but I'm still invited every year. I'm still included in that SEAL team's activities. And that means a lot to me. That means I've done it right. Because here I am a popular figure and I'm, I'm still accepted and, and um, asked to be involved, which, which means a lot and makes me proud in how I've conducted myself post being a SEAL. Virtual high five. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, what, ha I mean, it's been a crazy ride. I mean, is that a fair statement? Oh man, so crazy. Very crazy. So what, on so many different levels. Yeah. <laughs> for myself included, including just doing Fran for the first time in my life. Um, but yeah. what would you, what, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself in the process of this crazy ride? What have I learned about myself in this process? I, I've learned, um, I have a lot of confidence in myself and I believe, I believe in getting things done and I believe in it, pushing people past what they believe is possible. I don't even mean physically, but I mean, you know, mentally. And I mean, in terms of work ethic, I believe there's always a little more. And, um, and I believe that um, sometimes you have to believe in someone more than they believe in themselves to help them get further and to ultimately help your team and you get further. So in that, I've also learned that I push people sometimes too hard, uh, oftentimes 
not hard enough. Uh, most, <laughs> I'm like saying oftentimes not hard enough. Most, mostly I push people, but it's for a positive, it's for a good outcome. And oftentimes I do believe they appreciate it because at the end of the day, they've grown from it too. So I, without trying to sound like, so here's the other thing. I also, I'm not a big fan of, of, of um, preaching and trying to preach in terms of leadership or preach in terms of inspiration. I believe people should find most of that internally and not have to find it off of a meme or not have to listen to it from someone else. And if you can't, I think you're uh, in a compromised position, but without trying to sound too much like that, I just really, um, I believe in believing in people more than they sometimes believe in themselves. And that means pushing them. And that means pushing what's capable. I respect that very much. We need people like you. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. People, there are people out there that um, are just waiting for you to challenge them so that they can wake up to themselves. So yeah. while you catch some flack or feel uncomfortable or might not seem like always the easygoing fun guy at times, we need you. Interestingly, I just, uh, this just kind of connected. That also happens in the workouts I program in the open or in the games. So you think about some of the stuff I've programmed where in the open, people getting their first bar muscle ups, people getting their snatching a hundred pound dumbbell for the first time at regionals or games. So that, that kind of having talked through it plays out in the programming. We push the athletes, we push the community further than they often believe they are ready to be pushed. And that's kind of cool. The open special and cool like that. Look at this. I mean, look at how many people are like reveling and breaking down and crying and getting emotional about their realizing their potential. It's a beautiful yeah. thing to see. Yeah, for sure. The spiral that that creates from just like doing a bar muscle up and then stepping into their job or into their relationship or into their life with more confidence as well, because it can't help but infiltrate every little bit of you and you give yeah. them. Yeah. It's cool. So <laughs> final question, since I know you like to challenge people <laughs> <laughs> backwards, double unders, just throwing it out there. Hey, so you know who the first backward double under person in the community was the first like person doing it. You. No, 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 not backwards. Josh Bridges. Oh. So one of the first open workouts we ever, um, one of the first open workouts we had with double unders, he did, and he submitted a video, and he did all his double unders backwards. And we were like, "Can you do them well? Can you do them?" Oh, I can do a hundred plus backwards in a row. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. You guys should have a backward double under off. <laughs> so he said, he told me, he's like, "That's how I learned how to do it." I. Uh, I just learned how to do them backwards. And that's how we, well, and we decided at the time, uh, we didn't know what to do, but we said, okay, we're not going to take them. We're only going to accept forward double unders. So, By the way, saved me from competing. <laughs> any level, locally or anything, because I know I can't do forward double unders. So I'm like, that's a pretty basic movement. So, but, so now you got to learn it. You got to practice. You got to try. Look like a whipped, whipped, whipped <laughs> I, I, I pain. Learning them backwards is hard enough. You know how you learn them forward? You just do single under, 
single unders is a key. Get really good. It's funny because I've seen people who can murder double unders who are great at double unders. And then you ask them just to do single jumps and they don't have them at all. But single jumps are really the foundation for, for double unders and everything else. I, I actually did a Instagram live workout and um, I tested out a new rep scheme on everybody, which actually worked out fine. And um, it was jump rope was the first minute and every, every round you added one minute and one movement up to eight. And uh, oh, wow. those eight minutes of jumping rope. And so I would incorporate some double unders in there, but I was doing some forward and I tried, I did like one double forward and <laughs> tripped up and I'm like, yeah, that's why I can't do it. And now I've wasted so much time on the clock for the minute that I'm going to have to do double unders backwards for the whole rest of the time. But, um, <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I, let's face it. I'm too old. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can learn. You can learn. You're right. I could. I'm just doesn't. I just don't care. Um, yes, exactly. And it saves me from competing. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This has been, you know, thank you for, you know, your vulnerability, the honesty and, um, you know, the stories. Um, wow. You know, you've changed a lot of lives with everything from your challenging, challenging programming to just the presentation of CrossFit. Maybe the other, la maybe the very last question is, can you please just do the open <laughs> announcements again? Like I didn't even, I'm not, I'm sorry. This is the truth. I didn't watch them after you stopped. Neither did I. <laughs> and it's confusing because they're all over the world and I'm like, know, what language I am I in? So I'd really like you to do, I really, I really enjoy that month. And actually we would be doing it right now, wouldn't we? Uh, no, it'd be over. Yeah, February, March, but now it's in. That's right. End of the yeah. So it's confusing. Can you think about it? Can you contemplate? I'm, I'll contemplate. Thank you. Thanks, Danica. Appreciate the time. Thanks, this was fun. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it, and also thank you so much, Trevor Hall, for the awesome music. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.